Well, it feels like we've got a lot of good stuff done already today. Almost like if we ended right now, it'd be fine. We can just go home and say, hey, I've been in church. Saw God move and people's lives change and good things happen. Amen, amen. However, I got a little bit more. You up for it? All right. If you brought your Bible with you today, or your, your Bible app, fire it up, open it up, light it up. Uh, go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians, the second chapter. In many contexts, in many situations, I think it's advisable to look not at our differences, but to look at our similarities. Amen. I think I think it can lead to unity rather than division when we give attention to how we are alike. And I mean that in here, I mean that in society, uh, I, I mean that in any given group of people, focusing on how we are the same can be of great value. And how many know we have many similarities with uh, all people of the earth? Even we, we have many similarities with those who, who are not, if you're a saved person, with those who are not saved. You still have a lot of it, a lot in common with them. You have, you know, life and death and you have to eat and sleep and you, you desire to be happy and, and, and people want this. I, I was reminded of the words from uh, our, our Declaration of Independence that many of you are familiar with that, that reads, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so how many know we have a lot in common with everyone else in our land, in our country, in regards to these type of things? But how many know that there are also, also vast differences there are many things that are not the same from one person to another, from one group to another. And uh, here's the thing. These differences, some of them should be identified and they should be pointed out. It doesn't serve us well. It doesn't do us good to ignore all differences. Some specifically we're supposed to be aware of. All right. Now, I'm not talking about things like race or skin color, things like that. I don't think that's a difference hardly worth mentioning other than it makes us look pretty. <laughs> We're more interesting from a bird's eye view and we don't all look the same. You know what I'm talking about? But other than that, that's not really, that's not really a difference that I would be interested in drawing attention to. But how many know good and evil do exist? There is good. There is evil. We should be able to identify and distinguish those elements. We, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't help us at all if we blended all that together and made it one big gray mess. You know what I'm talking about? And we just called everything okay. No, no, no. We should distinguish this as good. This is bad. 
Amen. Um, honor is, is one of those things. What, what does honor do? How many honor will set one person above for recognition? You, when you honor someone, you are honoring them by making mention of some quality or some accomplishment or something that they have done that everyone else did not do. So you are not making all people equal in that sense. You are literally uh, make, making a point of theirs is a difference between this person and everybody else. Now that's a very positive thing. Okay, that's something we need in society, we need in life, we need in the kingdom of God to acknowledge certain differences like that. It's a matter, again, of giving weight to some above others. Distinguishing between things, having a distinction is necessary for advancing greatness. If we call everything the same, there's nothing else to achieve. There's not a better place. There's not a higher goal. There's not somewhere else that's, that's uh, better than uh, the place that I am. If we don't make this distinction, we'll never advance greatness. We'll make, it'll almost be like the goal, the highest place in life is mediocrity. The best thing you can achieve is just to be bland like everybody. No, let's call things what they are, and if something is better, let's look at it. Let's identify it. Let's aspire to it. And, and let's applaud those who, who make it. Everybody with me today? This is a principle in, in, in the kingdom of God. All right? We want to recognize what is, where we are, where I am, where you are. We also want to recognize where we can be. What, what the potential is of our lives. And drawing the distinction there gives us an ability, uh, you know, to achieve more and not just remain in a place, uh, you know, that's really not laudable. Okay? Not everybody gets the trophy. We shouldn't recognize everyone equally for non-equal performance. There should be differences that are identified. Here's the thing. God really is good. Yeah. The devil really is bad. That's a fact, Jack. And we need to know the difference. Huh? Jesus really did win the victory. He really did overcome death, hell, and the grave. And Satan really is defeated. He really has been stripped of his power. He really has lost his authority, lost his place. Uh, amen. What I'm talking about here and what I'm emphasizing, this is a new message, brand new message I'm sharing with you called contrast. All right? Contrast. It's not looking at and trying to make everything the same. It is identifying and pointing at things that are different so that we can accurately choose, we can accurately make, cho uh, make, make choices and life decisions that will lead to a better end, a better result, and, and so we can see what the differences are. All right? There, there's, uh, the definition of contrast just means the state of being strikingly different from something else. Okay? Strikingly different from something else. There's uh, the, 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 some, the thing that makes loud 
good is that sometimes it's quiet. The thing that makes quiet good is sometimes it's loud. You see that in speech. You see, you know, if I, if I just talked at the same level the whole rest of the service today and I never raised my voice or lowered it and just kind of spoke on one level the whole rest of the... That would get kind of old. But there's something about loud and quiet, something about in music when it gets, when it gets intense, when it gets magnitude, and other times when, it's, when it backs off. There's something about colors that contrast with one another. Huh? And here's the thing that I don't know if it's, uh, if it's good, it's just reality. In fact, it's not good. It's not good that evil exists. It's not good that darkness as a quality exists. But since it does, there's something that God wants to do in us that distinguishes our lives vastly from that darkness. It's called light. All right? But we were called, we were designed to have a contrast between us and the world we live in. We are in the world, but not of the world. We are light in a dark place. And so we want to look at what's different. Okay, specifically, specifically for those who name the name of Christ, what should be different about your life or different about you since that time when you bowed your knee and made Jesus your Lord and Savior. And I realize I'm talking to people in all different categories, all different levels of spiritual growth, and some who have not yet received the Lord, and many who have. Okay? And I know what we're talking about, but I want you to see the difference. I want you to see the distinction. If everything is the same, why are we even doing what we're doing? Did you find Philippians? Philippians chapter 2, chapter 2 and verse 12. It reads, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only... Or not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Do what? Work out your own salvation. Now, how many know that's different than saying work for your own salvation? How many know we're never told in Scripture to work for our salvation? If you are working for yourself, your salvation, you have a religion that needs to go. Okay? Because that's called self-righteousness. It's human effort that will never achieve the righteousness of God. And it's exactly the opposite of what we believe that Jesus came and took our sins and He suffered and died on the cross. Alright? So we're not working for our salvation. You can work as hard as you want all, you know, hard as you can all your life and you'll never ever be loved more by your Father than you are right now. Uh, and you can never, ever add one little thing to the finished work of the cross, what Jesus did for us in redemption. All right. So we're not working for our salvation, but what are, we, what are we encouraged and exhorted here to do? To work out our salvation. When you bowed your knee and made Jesus the Lord of your life, if you did that, did that, if you did, good, way to go. But what happened is, is salvation was deposited inside of you. It became a part of your being. You are called scripturally and biblically and in the kingdom of heaven saved. That's a good thing. You are you are saved. You have salvation. You have eternal life dwelling on the inside of you today. What should you do with that? Well, one of the things you should do is work it out. Because it is not designed to just remain inward, 
But it is designed to work its, from the moment you receive, to work its way outward so that others can see it. If it's only inward, I know it's there. God knows it's there, but it doesn't help anybody else. And really doesn't help me in my own life from day to day in, in practical ways. But if I will work out my salvation, it will be manifest and I will stop looking like I did before I had salvation. I want to look different than those who do not have it. I'm not talking about hair. I'm not talking about clothing. I'm not talking about kind of car we drive. I'm not talking about some of those, those things. No, 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 no. Those, those are the similarities. We blend right in. Look like everybody else. But there's something else that's been deposited inside of every believer and the will of God is that it would come out. Is that it would manifest and it would distinguish between you and another person. It would identify you as a child of God, as someone who is full of light. Alright, verse 13, for it is God who works in you. Say God. Say it again, say God is working in me. Yeah, He's working in you right now. He works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. So what's God constantly doing in every person who has already received salvation? He's working in them so that salvation would manifest and show up on the outside. How's He working in us? He's working on our want to. And He's working on our do. Working on our want to. In other words, the highest and best in this relationship, in this walk with God, is not that we pray, is not that we worship, is not that we share uh, love with others, is not that we come to church, is not that we give because we have to. We're supposed to do all these things because we want to. What happens if you live a life completely out of discipline? I'm just making myself do it. Well, you probably become religious and very annoying and legalistic and, uh, you know, in Bible days, they had whole groups. They had clubs. They called them Pharisees and Sadducees and all these people. They're very disciplined. Very disciplined people doing everything exactly right, but they miss the point. All right? And we don't want to end up in that category. I want to serve God and worship God out of a want to. And God is right now, present tense, working in me to help me with my want to. Yeah, if you're a believer and you stray and you wander away and you go off the path, how many know there's the Spirit of God who's still with you and He's going to be working in you from the inside out trying to pull you back, trying to tug on your heart because He's constantly working on your want to. And then He's working on your do. Yeah. I remember hearing, a, hearing from one man who was running from God. His mother was praying for him. Praying hard, praying that God would work in his life and bring him back to a place of relationship. He was in rebellion. He was running from God. He said, I, w- he said I was going and doing all kinds of ungodly stuff. I said, I'd be in these nightclubs and stuff. And he said, when I'd go in there, I'd stop and, and I would, and, and he said, God would talk to me. He, he was so annoyed by it because he would be doing all this stuff and he would hear, hey. And he said, I'd go over here and it was like, God would say, Hey. <laughs> and it's like he couldn't go anywhere. He couldn't. There's nowhere on the planet he could go. He'd run as far as possible. And when he got there, God was there, and God was dealing with him. Well, his mother was praying for him. Thank God for mothers who will pray for their kids. And uh, but God will deal with us. I tell you, and it's a good thing. He's working in you right now. To, so your desires line up with His desires, and you serve Him wholeheartedly. 
But the goal then, the, the goal of this is not just to have a, hmm, a warm fuzzy in your heart. Oh, I sure want what God wants. It's actually supposed to end in this, that we do the things that he does. Why? Because it, it clarifies and makes known the difference from who we used to be to who we are today. If any man is in Christ, the scripture says, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is a difference we should be well versed in. We should be very much aware of it and it should be so real that we're not trying to blend. We're not trying just to look like everybody else. We're identifying and and, and knowledgeable of the difference. Let's keep reading verse 14. He went on to say, do all things without complaining and disputing. Anybody need to hear that word? I know some people, yeah. Mm. Uh, All things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault. Look, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. What's he saying here? He's saying, I want you to be blameless. I don't want you to be the complainers, the disputers. I I, I want you to, to be blameless and harmless because in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, you're supposed to stand out. You're supposed to be different. You're supposed to be identified as someone who has experienced a change by the power of God. He said, among whom you shine. Among who? Among those in the crooked and perverse generation. What's supposed to happen? You and I shine. Yeah, where can you shine? Well, you can't shine where it's really light, but you can shine where it's really dark. And he's painting a picture of this contrast. We live in a dark, fallen, perverse, crooked world. He said, but there you are. You're a bright, shining light. Amen. Holding fast the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. And so we've got this perverse and crooked generation that's full of complaining and disputes and blamed and harmful and all this stuff. But we shine as lights in this world. We are called to contrast. We are called to be different. And isn't that why we came to Christ? Isn't that we gave our, why we gave our lives to the Lord Jesus? Not so that we could come to Him and everything could remain the same, but so that we could come Him and everything could be different. That we could give our lives to Him. And re- He really did have the ability. He really did have the want to. He really did have, did have the desire to come into our lives and make us into a new person. To set us on a new course. To give us a new future and a new hope. To set us on a direction that we were not on previous. We came to Him because we desired for Him to change us. I know there's great comfort that many, many will take in blending in with the crowd. Just kind of going with the flow. You know what I'm talking about? Just kind of, well, everyone's going this direction. If I can just kind of go with them, everything will be uh, fine. Well, you know, it might be comfortable because you're no different. It might, it, might, it might, you know, not put any pressure on you to just kind of go with the flow. But how many know the crowd is not always right? You remember Noah? Yeah. The majority doesn't always have the answer, doesn't always have the right solution. And is it sometimes uncomfortable to go a different direction than everybody else, to swim upstream? It, it, does, is that sometimes uncomfortable? Absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. But I tell you, that's what we're called to do because it's who we are. 
And eventually, if we're doing something opposite of who we really are, it's not going to satisfy. We are not called to be the same. We're not called to blend in. I don't want to just try. I, I want to avoid saying anything that someone doesn't like, lest it disrupt the peace. No, I'm called to disrupt. You're called to disrupt things. Change the conversation. Sometimes it's uncomfortable if you're in a dark place. Someone comes in and shines a light in your eyes. Ah, you lose your night vision, right? I'm uncomfortable. But what's the light supposed to do? Turn off? We're not called to turn off. We're not called to be put away. God's highest and His best for your life is not that you be hidden, but that you shine. That you shine bright in a dark world. Will it, will it become uncomfortable at times for others being around you? Yes, it will. But we do it for them anyway. Because if we do it long enough, the light will stick. <laughs> why, why would a lost person come to Christ if those who profess Him seem to be no different than everybody else? Why, why, why would they do that? There have been many criticisms of leaders and so forth in our country um, about our standing in the world because some, some have really made an effort to be liked by everyone. You know, and some, that's the, that seems to be their highest goal, is that everybody likes the United States of America. But some of the criticism that people will use, or they'll, they'll say, but in our quest for that, in our desire to be liked, we've become disrespected, and we're no longer feared. And, uh, and whatever the case is there, I know this, for, for the believer, for the church, I don't think there's any way... There's no, let me say it this way. There is no godly way for us to be liked by everybody. We cannot have it as our highest objective to get everybody to like what we're doing. Someone's not going to like us. And, I, and if you're like me, you know, I like to be liked. You like to be liked? If I walk into a room, there's a bunch of people, I would prefer nice words. <laughs> kind words. Good to see you instead of... Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, well, I like to be liked. You like to be liked. I don't want anyone not to not like me. But I have to have something that's more important than that. Because if it's not, if that's my highest goal, I'm going to do things that are harmful to me and to others. I'm going to do things. I'm going to compromise. I'm going to be this watered-down mess just to please everyone all the time. And I tell you, even some of the nicest people in the world, they still get criticized. They do. Someone doesn't like them because they're, you know... So, somehow threatened by their niceness. So we've just got to remove that. I mean, I still want to... I, we've got to knock that down a few notches and say, that's not the goal. That's not the highest pinnacle of my existence. That everybody loves me. No, I must have a standard that I live up to. I must have a, a, a quality of being that says, this is who I am, and it's a noble calling. It's worthy of my attention. It's worthy of my action. It's worthy of me giving myself into it. And if some don't like it, I don't like that they don't like it, but that's just the end of that discussion. They just don't like it. But I am who I am, and I am a light. Huh? You are changed by the power of God, and that must be what is really important to you. So, as the church, do we seek the world's approval or respect? You know, I was reading uh, about Jesus. He was often 
uh, asked questions. Jesus in his earthly ministry, of course, sometimes he's preaching to great multitudes and crowds and people are flocking to him for help and healing and, and life and answers and the great wisdom that poured out of him was amazing. But, you know, then people would corner him. I mean, some of them with ulterior motives. Some of them had good questions, I'm sure. I know they did. They had honest heart, felt they really wanted to seek and know the truth. And then others just trying to pin him in a corner. Others are trying to get him to say something that will hurt him, something they can use against him in the future. And, but in, in reading a lot of the narrative and a lot of the things that, that happened, one day, you know, Jesus was asked some things. He gave an answer, and a guy gave him a really good answer back. And Jesus said, you're not far from the kingdom of God. But then this phrase kind of jumped out at me. And it's in Mark chapter 12 and verse 34. And the end of that reads this way. It says, but after that, no one dared question him. They didn't what? They didn't dare. They didn't dare question him. I think, huh, is this an aspect of God, an aspect of the Lord Jesus that we've kind of missed out on? We've kind of forgotten about? It was not only true that he was loving, helping people, and, and he, was, he was altogether caring for people and their goodness, but also there was something about him that was respected. And sometimes people got around and said, you ask him, you ask him. He said, no, no, I'm not going to ask him. Now think about it. If all we see of Jesus is just one aspect of his character or of his personality and how he dealt with people, we probably have missed out on things like this. Where there was something about him that people didn't dare just ask him anything at any time. Uh, they wouldn't dare ask him another question. Hmm. And, then, and then I was uh, looking at the book of Acts in chapter 5. And... In the book of Acts, in the fifth chapter, you might recall about, uh, you know, Ananias and Sapphira didn't have a good day at church, and uh, they died. Uh, and, and, and then, what, what, what was taking place over there in Acts, the scripture says something very interesting in the twelfth verse. It reads, and through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. That's good. And they were with one accord in Solomon's porch. Verse 13. Yet none of the rest dared join them. Now here is the church. I mean churches that I know. I know our church. We're trying to reach more people. We're trying to not reach less people. So we're not doing our utmost best to scare people off. I mean, that's really not the objective. Let's try to keep people away. But they were doing things in such a way, what was happening is people wouldn't dare join their group. What did they have going on that lacks in the church today? What kind of respect and really even fear that was, was present where people said, you know, you know what? Hey, you want to go to church? Uh, uh, and they wouldn't say no because like they weren't interested. They didn't want to. They, just, they kind of didn't, didn't dare go. So, well, if I don't go there and it's like all right and everything, it might not go too well. And But look what happened. None of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers 
were increasingly added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women. So they had this great respect, this this awesome fear going on, yet they weren't staying small. They weren't decreasing. People wouldn't dare just get in their business, but in the midst of it, God's blessing was all over it. God was pouring out of His Spirit all over what they're doing, and people were being added to what they were doing on a daily basis. What does that tell me? It tells me if, if we are honoring God's standards, God's ways, holding up the standard high, don't not putting up with Ananias and Sapphira and all their lying garbage and their, their, their nonsense, right? But we're doing things right. There'll be signs and wonders. And, and there was unity. That's a big thing. They had unity and God added to them. I think we should ask... If God doesn't add to us, why not? And I think sometimes in in our attempt, and I say our, I'm just kind of speaking in general terms, but our attempt to blend with the world and become, you know, more relatable and more relevant, and, and, and those words are fine in and of themselves, but if it goes too far, we become just like the world. And if there's no difference between the way the world is and the way the people of God are, why would He pour out His Spirit on that? Why would He add more? Why would He send people and increase that position? We're called to be different. We're called to contrast the way we used to be, the way the world is, and that and that uh, that position is to earn respect. Does everyone like it? No. No. But there's something about God that's all over it. Amen. And that's what should matter to us more than some of the petty things I think we, we elevate. I want the presence of God. It's one of the highest compliments we've, we've received of things going on here. People say, and I came in there, it's like God was there. God's presence was there. I can't manufacture that. If I could, I'd put it in a bottle and sell it. <laughs> you know, the presence of God is that intangible yet tangible. It's a life-changing force. How could you, how could you make that? I've had times when I've walked into prayer meetings. I've walked into services where I stepped in a couple minutes after they started praying and worshiping God and literally walked in and it felt like I went through, I mean, other than the physical door was there, but it felt like I walked in and through another kind of door. And I walked in, it's like, oh, what is this? The glory of God is here. The presence of God was so strong. And it's like, it's here and not here. I think sometimes we don't recognize the reality of how tangible and how real spiritual things are. But I've stepped into it and thought, oh, nice. This is good. This is God. And there's no price you could put on that. No one, you can't make that in a lab. It's almighty God moving. Someone said, I don't really understand that. God's everywhere. What are you talking about? It sounds like kind of a... Phony baloney. Listen, God is everywhere. He takes up all the space, no doubt. But He's not moving everywhere. He's not always in manifestation everywhere at all times. 
There literally are moves of God. And people, listen, who have learned how to produce it, if you will, or to give place to it and have it happen, that is the greatest value of anything someone could offer on this earth. If you get a group of people who know how to act and relate to God and through their prayer and their worship and their declaration and their relationship with God themselves, they can bring that in to your house, to your life, to a service. What can compare to that? But that's what's different. It's one of those contrasting things. We've heard reports of people coming into our parking lot and being healed already. People say, I drove up. I counted the parking lot. And my body changed. He was healed. God moves in parking lots. It's awesome. <laughs> well, say, someone said, well, why did that happen though? Why? It's because of the spiritual activity that's going on from this work. Not This is not the only place by any means. God is doing something here. And when people run into it, stuff starts changing. It does. Our, Max said to me that this week in our discussion about our... our Amazing and powerful Wednesday night service. Uh, he, he used this uh, this illustration about how when the water in the bay rises, all the boats go up. And I thought, oh yeah, that's what God's doing here. That's what's happening. He's raising the water, and everyone who's in, we're all going up with it. Our get, uh, we're all being elevated and lifted to another place, and our lives are getting better and better. There's something about being a part. Of what God is doing in the earth. Amen, amen. But the difference is needed. The distinction is necessary. The contrast between not having that and having it. Huh? Obviously light and dark. Obviously saved and lost. The contrast of having a work and the move of the Spirit of God in your life and not having it is a big difference. And there's nothing more important. Hallelujah. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. We'll finish over here today. When they had signs and wonders, when they were in unity together, God blessed that. And He added to them daily. He kept pouring out upon that. I tell you, the church needs to stand for something. Or as the old saying goes, they'll fall for anything. There needs to be a group of people who will take a stand. Because listen, if you've received Jesus, you're a different person. Say, well, I don't feel different. You are. Stop going by what you feel and you'll, you'll start seeing that it's real. You know, I remember the, the old children's song. They, they would sing about hide it under a bushel. What was the next word? <laughs> Hide it under a bushel. No! Talking about let their light shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Yeah. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 38 reads, Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Well, look at that. The Lord... No pleasure, no pleasure, not pleased with what? The person who draws back. We're supposed to be different. We don't go backwards. 
We don't back up anymore. I heard about a story about one man or God. I think that might be a little bit extreme, but uh, a guy jumped in the car with him and he started to back up his car. He said, nope, stop. He said, we never back up. He said, we're never going back. He literally would not let him put his car in reverse. He said, we're, we are always moving forward. I guess he's probably making a point. But the Lord said, my, I have no pleasure in people going back. Backwards, backsliding, going the other direction. No, 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 no. He said, uh, not, not, going, not going back. Verse 39, but we are not of those who draw back to perdition. But of those who believe to the saving of the soul. In a world of darkness, we need contrast. When many are drawing back, we need others who will hold the line. Who will stand strong. When doubt and unbelief even flood the conversation of the saved. Come on, we need someone who will stand up boldly with a bold declaration of faith and say this is the way it is. Now's the time not to shrink back. In our quest for relevance, let's not compromise. Paul told the Corinthians, he said, you guys are a letter, an epistle, you know, a letter to the world from us. He said, your lives are this letter. And this is how God is touching the world, the lost and dark world around us. He's using you and me. How? When we stand, when we don't shrink back, when we don't fall back, when we don't compromise, but we say, you know what? It's not only okay that I'm different, I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to, I'm called to shine as a bright light in a very dark world. Amen.